What's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of the Prep Station Podcast. We're going to open today's headlines with the Pentagon leaker getting arrested. The man who leaked sensitive Pentagon information has been caught and arrested. 21-year-old Jack Texera was taken into custody in Massachusetts by FBI agents on Thursday. Texera was currently serving as an Air National Guardsman. Uh, Texera led an online chat group of about 20 to 30 men. The Discord server where they chatted, known as Thug Shaker Central, was a place where they shared their love of guns, racist memes, and video games. In interviews with multiple news agencies, excuse me, members of the group thought Texera shared the info just to impress the group and wasn't looking to alter foreign policy. The New York Times has viewed over 300 documents that he's leaked, but only a small percentage have been reported on so far. That means the damage from this leak could get a lot worse. The leaking of information began last year and continued as recently as March. The documents exposed Ukrainian military information, spying efforts on both U.S. allies and Russia. Experts fear this could put our operatives in the field in danger. And that's often an underreported fact about classified document leaks. They put actual human beings in danger. The U.S. has thousands of intelligence-gathering operatives out in the field, and leaking key information while they're still in harm's way is both reckless and dangerous. Texera, known as OG in the online group, had strong anti-government views. He saw law enforcement and intelligence agencies as a repressive force. He often spoke of government overreach. Now, this is an ideology that's really common on the right. Government overreach is just another term for big government, the longtime boogeyman of conservatives. Uh, The sour view of U.S. intelligence agencies is more of a new phenomenon which really kicked into gear under Donald Trump. This would be the so-called deep state. And if you have any questions about whether this would become political, Marjorie Taylor Greene answered that by defending the leaker the day he was arrested. She tweeted, Jack Texera is white, male, Christian, and anti-war. That makes him an enemy to the Biden regime. She used the situation to bash Biden's Ukraine policy, claiming Texera proved U.S. troops were on the ground fighting Russian soldiers, even though Ukraine is a non-NATO country and Russia is armed with nuclear weapons. Green and other Republicans were not as gung-ho for leaks under the Trump administration. Hypocrisy is once again on full display. And it should be noted that there are no U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine. That is false. She's making that up. And... You know, as much as the uh, the Trump wing of the party complains about Russia, 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 it's always about Russia. Here we go again, somebody defending a Russian position. Why would she defend a leaker of U.S. classified information? And then immediately segue into, oh, it's about the Ukraine war and blah, blah, blah. And of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene is against the war. She's against our funding of Ukraine against Russia. And lest we forget, this is also the party that sent several senators over to Russia on the 4th of July a couple of years back. So the Russian ties are alive and well in the Republican Party, and that is something you should definitely be keeping an eye out going forward. On to the next story. Speaking of Donald Trump, he was in deposition for seven hours yesterday answering lawyers' questions about his company's business practices. The deposition was in relation to a lawsuit brought by uh, brought on by New York Attorney General Letitia James. This case is separate now from the Alvin Bragg indictment over the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. To give a quick recap, Trump's company lied about the value of properties to both the U.S. government and banks. He told banks the properties were more valuable than they actually were to secure loans. He then said they were less valuable to the U.S. government in order to lower his tax bill. 
both of these acts are illegal. In a previous uh, deposition, before facing the lawsuit, Trump invoked his Fifth Amendment rights over 400 times. This time around, he was supposedly more open to answer questions. And if you think it's unfair that prosecutors are going after Donald Trump and not the countless other rich people who are likely committing similar crimes, you should definitely be in support of the IRS expansion Biden signed into law. The additional IRS agents were requested so the agency can go after big tax avoiders like our former president. The government believes that these additional agents will help the U.S. claw back billions in unpaid taxes from the wealthy. This lawsuit really touches on a bigger problem, and that is tax avoidance that the rich are able to put off. The constant fighting over tax rates ignores perhaps a bigger issue, and that is the various carve-outs that the wealthy are given in the tax code, and then the fraud they are able to perpetrate due to the IRS being gutted the past few decades. I've stated in previous videos that I'm not for taxing the ricks as a punishment. I simply believe that they have to be taxed more efficiently because they are hoarding all the money. If the wealthy want middle and lower income earners to contribute more in taxes, they're going to have to start paying more. You can't get blood from a stone. All right, let's move on to the abortion pill issue. The Justice Department has called upon the Supreme Court to resolve a dispute around the abortion pill mifepristone. Hope I said that right. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek ordered the FDA to pause its authorization of the pill, but gave the government seven days to appeal. Government, of course, did so, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled Wednesday, weakening Kaczmarek's initial ruling, but allowing some of the restrictions to remain in place. If the Supreme Court rules on the matter, it is likely to do so on the so-called shadow docket. These rulings typically come much quicker than other major cases, and sometimes kind of under the radar. The issue continues to be a big loser for Republicans electorally. Many cite abortion as the reason for Republicans' historic underperformance in 2022. Abortion has been also listed as one of the main reasons Democrats got bigger-than-expected win for the vacant Wisconsin Supreme Court seat. There's already been quiet grumblings from some Republicans that they're getting hurt by this issue. There have been reports of even Donald Trump complaining about it. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's about to sign, and I believe he did this morning, a six-week abortion ban into law, one of the strictest in the nation. In the coming weeks and months, we're really going to see how much resolve Republicans have on this issue. It's always difficult to take away something people have had for a long time. Throw in the supercharged opinions people already had on this subject, and you have a real powder keg. Conservatives may have had a dog-catching-the-car moment. Unfortunately for them, this could swing the electoral map away from them. We've been stuck in a seesaw back and forth between Democratic and Republican governments for the past three decades, but it hasn't always been this way. This issue could push the country more to the left for years to come. The other big topic I wanted to cover was uh, McCarthy is working out his plan for a one-year debt ceiling extension. Uh, He's... It hasn't officially been released yet, but they're apparently getting close on it. He wants Biden to agree to some spending cuts in order to raise the debt ceiling. Now, of course, they did this time and time again under Trump with no concessions, no spending cuts. They just kept spending money, no problem. Now, this is obviously just going to be the kind of opening negotiating position for Republicans. There's no way Biden would agree to it, but let's see what they do have. Uh, this would suspend the debt ceiling until May 2024, so we'd be having this discussion again right in the middle of a presidential election. I'm sure Republicans would love that. 
Okay. In return for next month's vote, non-defense discretionary spending would have to stay at roughly the same level as fiscal year 2022, grow 1% per year over 10 years. Uh, Republicans are still discussing the defense spending, which some members want to hold at current levels and others want to grow. Other elements include a clawback of unspent COVID relief funds, work requirements for able-bodied Medicaid recipients age 60 and under who don't have dependent children, and an initiative to include work requirements for food stamp recipients could be included but isn't in the current framework. The bill could save up to $4 trillion over 10 years, and some of that would come from increased revenue achieved by sunsetting old regulations and easing energy permits. Biden has called... Uh, Biden has called for an unconditional increase of the $31 trillion debt limit, but he said he would discuss a separate budget agreement with McCarthy. And that's kind of my standing on this, too. I don't think we should negotiate over the but, uh, the deficit ceiling. Um, this is for money that has already been spent. And even if Democratic Congress did it and Republicans don't like it, it's too bad. You know, you don't get to go back on previous budgets and change it. It's done. The ink is dry. But they have their own budget they have to craft for this year and for the next year. So that's where you have your negotiation. This holding the debt ceiling a hostage, I wasn't a fan of it in 2010. I'm not a fan of it now. This, even if we do end up coming to an agreement, this constant, you know, going to the edge of the cliff here, this is bad for our credit. Yeah, we already had our credit downgraded once because of this issue, and it's not out of the question that it could happen again. The full freight and credit of the United States is one of our most important bargaining chips. It's why so many countries invest in this country. We have always paid our debts. And to even, you know, play around with putting that on the line is the height of irresponsibility. It's one of the reasons why I can't take the Republican Party seriously, especially when it calls itself a fiscally conservative party. Uh, Part of being fiscally conservative, fiscally responsible, whatever you want to call it, is paying your bills. So the idea that we would not pay the debt, you know, we not pay our debts, that's just ridiculous to me. And I personally think it should be considered unconstitutional because it says that the full faith and credit of the United States shall not be something. In the Constitution, it says we have to pay our debts. Let me reword that. In the Constitution, it literally says that you have to pay, the government has to pay its debts. So I've always personally viewed the debt ceiling as something that was unconstitutional, and maybe Biden's prepared to go there. I kind of doubt it, but I really am going to hate to see if we just drag this all the way to the end, and then at the last minute, McCarthy just caves anyway, and we do it. And of course, there is a way out of this, where because there's no way he could get all 218 Republicans to vote for a debt ceiling increase, especially without um, budget cuts, but he could get enough, he could get some Republicans and majority Democrats. Of course, you don't want to do that, and that's a huge problem with how the House works in general, how each party does not want to pass anything if their own party isn't the majority pushing it. And, you know, that was one of the things I kind of agreed with the uh, dissenters in the House Speaker vote this past go-around, is that they wanted to kind of weaken the rules of the Speaker so the House was more open. And this is one of them situations where I believe if it came to a floor vote right now, you could get 218 votes for a clean debt ceiling increase. Some Republicans, moderate Republicans, would peel off and join all the Democrats and do it. And the fact that that's not even possible, it's like the only way to get something on the floor without the Speaker is something called, I believe, a discharge uh, discharge paper, discharge position. I can't remember the exact words. And um, 
it's a long drawn out process. It's difficult and it doesn't happen very often. Um, so that's something I would like to see. Of course, there's got to be some rules to the House floor. You don't want chaos. You don't want people gumming up the works by offering unlimited amendments and stuff. There should be some limits, but there definitely needs to be a little more openness than we have now. Continuing my coverage of the Ron DeSantis versus Disney saga, Disney CEO Bob Iger has come out saying that if Ron DeSantis wants to end his feud with Disney, they could just sit down and discuss all of this. Now, it's important to note this feud started under um, the previous Disney CEO. I think his name was Bob Chapek. Um, he's the one who come out making statements against Ron DeSantis's don't say gay law. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on DeSantis going to have a sit down with Disney to straighten everything out because this is just red meat for Republicans at this point. Um, and even this is really for the Trump base, the anti woke crowd that he's really pushing for, because even the business Republicans are not in favor of this. This is way outside of the scope of normal Republican behavior. Republicans are the party of big business. They always have been. Trump has started to move them kind of away from that with his economic populism. But there's still a huge business wing of the Republican Party. And they see this as, you know, big government, government overreach, government tampering with a private company. And Disney is a special example, a special company because of their, the way they handled their land down there. It's such a big, you know, big area they're in control of. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't count on Ron DeSantis going to sit down with Disney because he wants this fight. You know, he wants the attention because he's actually been dropping in the polls ever since, uh, Trump got indicted. And even a little bit before that, I think Trump has been surging. And if I'm not mistaken, there was, there's been polls out that had even Nikki Haley starting to gain on Ron DeSantis. So it's not looking good for old Ronnie boy, but yeah, he's probably not going to, um, go sit down and play nice with Mickey Mouse now because that just doesn't do anything for him electorally, especially in a primary. Now, once, let's just say, theoretically, it seems far-fetched at this point, but let's say he does win the Republican primary. At that point, he would maybe want to sit down, but he... <clears throat> not before. He's definitely going to stay fighting with Disney until the Republican primary is over with. Afterwards, once he was moving to the general, I... And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm going to assume that he's not going to try to pull the Donald Trump and stay too far to the right for the general because Donald Trump, you know, lost two popular votes and lost the electoral vote last time. I'm going to assume if Ron DeSantis gets the nomination, he pivots to the middle and tries to put himself as more of a Ronald Reagan type because let's just be honest, the Trump thing is not going to work again. It worked once against Hillary Clinton. Uh, it was after eight years of Democratic rule. It's not going to work this time. It's not going to work in 2028. People have seen what Trump was like, and I think they had their fill of that. So I definitely think Ron DeSantis will have to pivot back to the middle to try to win the general. So that's when he might be ready to sit down with Disney, but I fully expect him to keep fighting them. Um... I, I saw just yesterday an article talking about something he had done. It's going to try to limit what Disney can do on their land, but we'll see where that goes. And here's another another update on a story we've covered before, of the Clarence Thomas saga. Apparently, on top of all the free trips and vacations he was getting from Harlan Crow, uh, he also sold his childhood home to the GOP donor and never disclosed it. Yeah, this was a six-figure deal, and Clarence Thomas's 94-year-old mother still lives there. 
So apparently this is a common scam that the rich run where you sell a property. This is a way to launder money, basically. You sell a property, but you or your family or whoever never moves out. So his mother, so he got the money from Harlan Crow, and his mother has lived there since then. This happened years ago, and she lives there rent-free. Apparently Harlan Crow even renovated the place. Um, yeah, so that, the vacations, the stuff, you know, you could try to twist it whatever way. This is straight up scam now. We are deep into scam territory with this new evidence. So it's really going to be interesting to see. I know the Senate is already looking into having hearings on this. I'm sure the House, which is controlled by Republicans, of course, and if you didn't know, Clarence Thomas is a supremely conservative justice so they're obviously not going to look into it and i'm sure he's you know not going to face impeachment because that has to start in the house and there's no way there's enough senate republicans that would convict him either um but this looks really bad and it will be interesting to see they're also calling on the supreme court uh the supreme court head the guy's name escapes me now uh this uh chief justice they are calling upon him to look into the matter because they do have some kind of ethical code and whatnot they're supposed to follow. Um, John Roberts, that's the guy's name. Uh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> anyway, they're calling on John Roberts to look into it. Is anything going to happen? I don't know. We'll just have to see how much more dirt comes out of this and how much worse it looks. Roberts is very invested in the reputation of the court. So I would say that's probably the best bet for any kind of action being taken against Thomas. There's just nothing's going to happen in Congress. After seeing what happened with Trump, after especially after January 6th, um, impeachment to me is just a toothless tool, and there's just no point in even bothering with it anymore, except to send a message, I guess. But with the Supreme Court, they're, they're not elected. It doesn't matter, so there would be no point in sending a message. But John Roberts is... Uh, he does care about the reputation of the court. So we'll see if pressure starts to come from the inside. I don't even, I'm not even sure if there's a mechanism for her, him to force Thomas out, but they could obviously apply pressure and get him to resign. He is old. I believe he's in his eighties. And honestly, that would probably be best for the country at this point, because this is a scandal. He obviously should step down regardless but just in terms of the Democrat-Republican dynamic here, Democrats are still sore about the seat that was stolen when Mitch McConnell refused to even give a hearing for Barack Obama's last nominee, current Attorney General Merrick Garland. And then, despite the same situation happening at the end of Trump's term, he rushed through a uh, nomination, which turned into Amy Barrett. So if Thomas was to step down now... Uh, Republicans would hold the 5-4 majority, but Democrats would be back to where they were before. And that would probably ease some of the sour grapes, not all of them. But it's something that should be done. This is very unethical what Thomas did, taking money from a Republican donor. And, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, he didn't have any cases in front of the court. And, but he's voting in a way, again, this guy gave money to Republicans. He wanted Republican priorities to go. And... Thomas voted Republican, the Republican side, every time on the Supreme Court, virtually. He's always voted conservative, so it looks fishy, it smells fishy, it's probably fishy. All right, it's Friday, let's move on from all this political talk, and let's move on to sports. Tonight are the final two games for the NBA playoffs play-in tournament. We've got the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um... The Bulls and the T Thunder, they won their game, so they're kind of in a little better 
I would say stronger position coming off a win. And if I had to pick between these two, Bulls Heat, the Heat have a better record. I think they're a better team on paper, but man, they lost to the Hawks, which was very disappointing. I picked them too. So that was my, I think that was the one match I missed in the first three. Um, Bulls and Heat, that's a tough one. It's a good rivalry too, the Bulls and the Heat. Uh, back to going back to the LeBron Derrick Rose years. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Heat. I picked them last time. I picked the Bulls too, but I'm gonna stick with the Heat. I'm going easy way. I'm going with a better record. I like Jimmy Butler here. I think he matches up well against Demar Derozan and company. So I'll go with the Heat in that game. Easy pick for me. Thunder over Timberwolves. The Thunder looked good in their win. Uh, Timberwolves not so good against the Lakers, even though they were winning at points in the late in that game. And it took the Lakers overtime. That's more of a condemnation of the Lakers than it is to say anything good about the Timberwolves. They really choked the game away and should have won. So I'm going to go with the Thunder over the Timberwolves. Of course, um, that gives me a chance to... I was just talking with my brother about this earlier after working out. This play-in crap is ridiculous. This is a total waste of time. Maybe the Lakers have a chance in the first round, but all of these other teams are literally fodder for the top seeds. And it's just, we are wasting, this is just additional games for nothing, I feel like. I don't feel like most people want to see this. I mean, I guess if you're a fan of the teams, hey, we got a chance. You got a chance to go in and get stomped in the first round. Um, And this is a big problem. Basketball, I feel like, has got a reckoning coming up in the coming years. Could start soon when they go for their next TV contract. I think it's going to be a rude awakening with how much money they get offered because just because of changes in the cable TV landscape. Um, but a combination of analytics kind of ruining the game is something else we were talking about. Too many threes and um, too many players taken off for load management. And there's just too many games. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. What makes the NFL the most watched sport I feel like isn't so much the sport itself um, so much as it is every game is way more important the playoffs are single elimination so that speaks for itself uh, the regular season you know each game there's only 17 games in the NFL now there was 16 for most of my life um, compare that 16 whereas basketball there's 82 it's like four times as many games and when you have that many games each game is just less and less important so I've suggested going to a two uh, where each team plays every other team twice, once at home, once away. That would, with our current team rate, put us at 58 games. That's still a lot of games, but I feel like that would be so much better. At, le- at the very least, you could do away with things like back-to-backs. Load management wouldn't be such an issue. You could do other fun things like tournaments and whatnot. But right now, we have 82 regular season games. Now we have this little play-in tournament. The playoffs themselves are so long these days. It's just there's too much. It's too much of a good thing. There can be such thing as too much of a good thing. And in terms of basketball games, I fully believe there's just too many games. Um, Go back to another point I just made. Analytics ruin the game. You know, something else we were talking about. I feel like the best basketball I've ever seen played was the 2014 Spurs when they beat Miami that year, the second matchup. They drove to the basket. They shot threes. They had good ball movement. They played the game. I feel like that is the best representation of basketball. The current level with the heightened way more threes, less driving to the basket. 
I'm just not a fan of that style of basketball. Jump shots, threes are fine, but too many. So again, get, same thing with the games. It's too much of a good thing. I would like to see more balance. Uh, like I said, the, the 2014 Spurs, the beautiful game, they called it. That was the best basketball I've ever seen. And the 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 Warriors the next year when they won in 2015-2016, they played a very similar style. They might have shot, I think they shot probably more threes than the Spurs did, and that's where it started to slip away. But they too played a very beautiful game of basketball. So, yeah, analytics, uh, they've just they've decided 40% on three is better than 60% on two, and so now everybody wants to shoot threes. It's just hurt the game. And how do you fix that? That's uh, what my brother came up with. I thought was a good solution. He said, you know, obviously you're going to have to pull the three-point line back. Now, there's limits to how far you can go on the side because the three-point line's already, some of these guys' feet's too big to fit behind it. Um, so what you're going to end up having to do is just get rid of the side three, the corner three, and draw just a, just an arc from sideline to sideline and then move it back. And that would cut down on some of these threes because obviously the further back you go, the less chance you have of making the shot. Once that percentage goes down, the analytics guys are going to say, hey, stop shooting so many threes. And that's one way you could do it. Um, and again, I don't want to get rid of threes. I don't want to go back to the 80s or even the 90s. But it does, it is out of hand and we need, it needs to be tempered down. Hopefully the NBA realizes this in the coming years and doesn't wait too long like baseball did. They should have made changes way sooner than they did. That's another sport that was ruined by analytics where guys now only want to, it's either hit a home run or get a walk. And they're just fouling off pitch after pitch because with the shift and all, if you put the ball in play, you were probably getting out. And batting averages had dropped ridiculously low. I think last year was one of the lowest on record. It was either last year or 2021. I can't remember which. Um, And that was something that stunned me because I was out of baseball for about 50, almost 20 years. I stopped watching. And as I came back in 2021 and 2022, and I seen the league leaders in batting averages was like below 320. And I was just like, holy smokes. And just seeing everybody declared a good hitter hitting 270. And it was like, ooh, it was a it was a wake up call. But that was analytics at play here. They had decided it was better to swing for the fences. And if you can't try to get a walk, foul off pitches till you get the walk. So nobody was hitting good for good average. And that segues us nicely into our next topic. We're going to look at ESPN's power rankings, uh, Major League Baseball power rankings, I should specify. They, of course, have Tampa Bay as number one. They are 13-0. That is the best start since, I believe, I read last night, 1884. This was before Major League Baseball was even a thing. And I think it was the St. Louis Maroons, maybe, that went 20-0. and 0. Doubt we'll see that this year, but 13-0 and 0 is super impressive. And they've outscored their opponents by like 70 runs. It's crazy. So Tampa Bay, definitely the top team. They surprisingly have the Braves number two. I might have even had the Braves a little lower. And I'm, it comes from a Braves fan. But after struggling against uh, San Diego... They've bounced back and swept the Cincinnati Reds, but of course the Cincinnati Reds are not exactly a powerhouse. Let's see. What did they say about Tampa Bay? They didn't say anything big, but in terms of the Braves, they mentioned Bryce Elder, who's come up since uh, Max Freed got injured, and he's done a fantastic job. Matt Olson still hitting for power. Of course, they mentioned the Braves' injuries. Michael Harris, Travis Darno. Uh, we just lost yesterday Orlando Arcia, our starting shortstop, to a microfracture on his wrist. So Braves are definitely battling the injury bug right now. Hopefully, if we have that now, we'll be healthy down the stretch and in the playoffs and can have a good run this year. 
They've got the Yankees at number three. They are eight and four. Let's see. Garrett Cole has been a beast this season. San Diego, number four, seven and six. Uh, they had a brutal East Coast trip. They did, but they did very well at it, winning three or four against the Braves in Atlanta. But then they dropped two of three to the Mets. So, uh, yeah, it's going to take a minute, but that loaded lineup uh, would surprise me with the Padres against the Braves. I mean, they hit like you about you would expect for a team with the, as many names as they have, but their pitching was well. They held Atlanta, which is a very potent offense, probably one of the best lineups in the league right there with San Diego. They held Atlanta to one run in two separate games, so the pitching was really solid. If they can do that all season, they're going to challenge for the best record in the league, and they're going to be a force in the playoffs. And they have the Dodgers at fifth. Here we go again. As I said before the season, there wasn't a lot of people talking about the Dodgers, but you better not sleep on them. They've been good for too long, and you know they know how to win. This is an organization that knows how to win, and here they are again, challenging seven and six right there with the um, – with the Padres, uh, number six, Houston. They've struggled a bit to start the year, but still super early. Wouldn't be too worried. I want to say they struggled last year, too, at the start, and then they came on strong at the end and went over 100 wins. But I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I do thought I remember them struggling. Uh, Milwaukee, number seven. They're actually very good this year so far. I want to say their run differential was pretty solid. Toronto, a lot of people were high on them, eight and four, tied with the or half game behind the Yankees. Um, right there in the east, New York, seven and six, two games behind the Braves, Cleveland Guardians, seven and six. Oh, they didn't have Minnesota. Hmm, they got Cleveland ahead of Minnesota. That's interesting. Minnesota's been very good this year, too, so far. So there you go. There's your power rankings. Um, that's about all the headlines I had to cover today. Um, I did not get a live stream in yesterday. I wanted to, but Family obligations took precedence, so I was able to have to skip it. Maybe tonight, if I can clear my schedule later, we will try to do a live stream, see what else is going on in the world, see the headlines. And some other things I want to start doing is checking out Reddit. Um, I made a video a couple of weeks ago answering Reddit's questions. I thought that would be a good thing for um, for live streams, just going to like ask Reddit, seeing the questions. Uh, also, am I the asshole? That's another good subreddit to check out and kind of just answer basically what people are putting up there. So we'll look into doing stuff like that. Um, also check out our food and see some good recipes. Looking for some, uh, we definitely need some new inspiration in our home and maybe you do too. So that's something else we can check out. But yeah, um, as we continue to build an audience, uh, you know, once we get going with the live streams and start to get more followers, I would love to have more interaction with everybody. So look forward to that as well. We'll be getting a lot more comments on the videos. That's good. Keep them coming. Uh, but that's about going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to hit that like button. And if you're really enjoying the content, please subscribe and hit the little bell so you can get notified when new episodes drop. I'll see you guys in the next one. Oh, 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 o